0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax.
1: I'm Scott Nye.
0: Tyler Smith is on assignment. i um, have been, Scott?
1: Fine. Just been seeing a ton of movies at that time of year.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm a little bit behind. Um, but uh, yeah, I do have a bunch of stuff coming up got some you know i don't like to be one of the guys who brags about
1: getting screeners but i am getting screeners Sorry, just, uh I, did you get stuff. the orchard package today uh, I, very, I haven't
0: been home yet uh, so i hope so a
1: very ill-timed orchard package because it includes the louis ck, CK movie oh
0: well i'll be glad to have that <laughs> yeah um as a as a curio uh, it's too bad no one has a screener of the kevin spacey all the money in the world <laughs> someone will leak it i can tell yeah yeah, now I know uh, we were talking about that on. Uh, 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 our friend Jake was talking about this on Twitter last night, and the only, the closest thing I could come up with was when they did the Red Dawn remake a few years ago, and they okay. shot the entire thing with the Chinese as the bad guys, right? And then it sat on a shelf for a while, and then Chris Hemsworth became famous, right? And they were like, "Hey, let's release this," and it was like, "Oh, wait." like movies need to play in China <laughs> these days. Right. And so they went and digitally changed all the Chinese flags, North Korean flags, and looped all the dial- Chinese dialogue to be North Korean dialogue. I don't know that this is the same thing, <laughs> but, but in the sense of v- there being like a completed right. version of a movie that no one might ever see. Do you know um, what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, complete, that, that's what I mean. Completed is always hard to say. Cause it's like the movie is not complete till it comes out and people see it. You know, that's a,
0: that's a good point. That's a good point. But, uh, in, in both cases, I guess it was, I guess, largely considered completed. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that was the only corollary I could think of.
1: I mean, I know Woody Allen shot all of, I think September with a whole different cast and then completely reshot the movie because he didn't like it. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And then I think more recently I had just heard about this today, but uh good time, which we talked about last week, Eric Roberts was supposed to come in for a scene and they shot it with Eric Roberts and at the end of the, when they were looking at it in the edit, they're like, this just isn't working. Hmm. So they reshot it with an actual Bill Bondsman.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I love hearing about, like, it's always interesting to hear about actors who were completely cut out of movies. Wasn't there something like, I want to say just recently, like Josh Brolin was cut out of SuburbCon. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's always interesting to me. And then it's it's especially interesting when you get like the thin, the thin red line, like George Clooney still technically shows up. Yeah. You can kind of hear him talking, but like (laughs) there's narration over (laughs) it. Yeah. And then anything else from his storyline was gone. But anyway, um, couple of things I want to talk about. Uh, first one, I just want to address something that happened, uh, in our sort of corner of the world. Um, since the last time we recorded, which was the whole uh, Disney LA Times kerfuffle, yeah, uh, which a lot of uh, I, I'm very happy to see that um, pressure from uh, critics organizations and and um, news movie news organizations uh, caused Disney to go
1: back on their dumb uh, ban. Yeah, um, it was announced on that Friday and then over by Monday.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, well, you, okay. So you know the term uh, the Streisand effect. I don't know. Uh, basically, the idea that by protesting something, you end up giving it a bigger platform. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's exactly what happened here. This was essentially a local news story. Yeah. About, um, that I hadn't even heard about. I had heard about that okay. because um, Disney and the theme park does have a sort of sweetheart deal uh, relationship with the city of Anaheim, where the theme park right. is. For instance, I don't know. You've been to Disneyland here. Oh, yeah so you know that gigantic parking garage you go and you pay the one what, you park in 15 20 yeah. bucks a person or whatever that land and that garage are owned by anaheim oh okay. but everything you pay for parking goes to disney disney pays anaheim essentially like a nominal fee of like a dollar a year right and it's just i i guess that's that's the kind i guess that's the kind of thing that disney or the la times was, right uh was writing about disney got pissed off they banned uh, la times film critics from screenings and la times tv screening tv critics from getting advanced screeners and um, a number of people uh, first it started with uh, there was like Flavor Wire and Washington yeah. Post and AV Club and the New York Times all said like we're not going to cover Disney um, and then a number of um, film critics organizations the here the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and I think the New York Film Critics Circle and the National and Association National, and there was another one there were four I know I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember, I can't remember either, either, either it was like Boston or something yeah it was Boston okay yeah Um, said we're not Going to be considering um, this for uh, for you know considering Disney films for awards that are year end list uh, consideration. In fact, I'm in addition to you and I. Are a member of the online film critic society. I'm also a member of the L.A. online film right. society, which never I don't think formally did got a chance to say the same. But uh, one of our uh, governors or whatever right. um, did tweet
1: that that was going to be the plan for us as well. But after Disney kind of relented, I saw a lot of people tweeting like uh, hats off to the organizations that were slowly talking about doing the same thing. Well, that's exactly
0: what I wanted to say is that you and I and Tyler like were planning on announcing that we also would not be reviewing uh, uh, basically Coco or last Jedi or potentially black Panther or wrinkle in time went that far. Um, And we had like, I had a thing drafted, but like we wanted the three of us, you and Tyler and I to be on the same page. And with my work schedule and Tyler's travel schedule, yeah, and Tyler's it, 15 hours ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. By the time we got everyone, I, we were all agreed. Yeah. It was already over. So I, I felt, which is good uh, news. It, yeah, it was good news, but selfishly I was like, oh, I wanted to be one of the good guys on
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you can tell our audience that yeah, you're that's one the, of the That's guys. what I'm doing. Yeah.
0: That's um, the whole point. But anyway, that's not what I really want. I wanted to, okay. I, I wanted to address that, but I wanted, I wanted to, I have a bone to pick Uh-oh. Scott with you and a lot of other film twitter nerds
1: that's what i'm here for represent the film twitter nerds which
0: is that uh no one gives a fuck about masking
1: it doesn't matter no it's not
0: important yes it is no it's not (laughs) you you people with your being precious about the theater viewing experience if you don't watch it you're going to turn into like creepy old, like civil war reenactors. It's like a fetish. No. And it's not. And here's the, okay, here's what I'll say. For those who don't know what mask, well explain what I mean by masking.
1: Masking is basically the assumption that there will be some border around the screen and that that border will roughly be equivalent to the dimensions of the frame of the film.
0: Right. So sometimes you'll see, uh, if you're in a movie theater, um, you, you'll see the curtains move in or out to sort of right. make the shape of the screen one,
1: eight, five to two, three, five, yeah. the other way around. I mean, curtains is maybe generous. It's usually like a piece of fabric that goes right. up and down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I'm thinking of like, we get to go to fancy rooms right. like the Academy or whatever words. Um, but here's, here's where I think uh, like I, uh, uh, where, where I disagree with you guys who feel strongly about this sort of thing um, on the, it's on this particular and just in general okay. I think I think that you and I understand why but I think you view the theatrical movie viewing experience as sort of the standard whereas I think that's an old fashioned way of thinking I think home viewing is the standard and that doesn't mean obviously seeing a movie in a the theater is better in almost every way Right, but I don't but I I, I still think w- no one besides people like you guys mm-hmm. is going to even notice the lack of masking I because think they're used to seeing if they're watching stuff on Blu-ray, if I'm watching a two, three, five Blu-ray on my 16 by nine TV, I, you know, I don't have little pieces of fabric fabric that come down. I'm right. seeing letterboxing. And I don't think to the average moviegoer who watches things in letterbox all the time,
1: I don't think it even registers. There are a couple key differences. One is that when you're watching something at home, your screen is projecting a pure black space to fill in the empty space. The theatrical screen is not a pure black space. It's a pure white space that's just darker than the actual illuminated spot. Uh, In addition to that, the... Theatrical projection standards, especially at AMC, are incredibly low right now. You know, it's one thing to go see, uh, and this has been the case at AMC for years, and they're like prime Dolby screens or whatever. They're, they haven't been masked since as long as they've been around. But I've never had a problem with it because it's a very primo projection experience. Like, every everything's very fine-tuned. There's no extra, like, stray light that could bl- bounce off the screen. The projection itself is very nice. So you don't really notice the border, but when... You have washed out images with terrible colors. You have lights coming in from, you know, exit signs or wherever else. Like all these things affect the light coming off of the screen, which is ultimately what you are watching. And so it's the lack of masking is just one further way to degrade and already severely degrade a theatrical experience.
0: I, I think everything you're saying is right, except for I think I take issue with the word degraded because you're still saying it's degraded from a certain standard, and I'm saying that standard has been in the, like, sort of psychic space of the American moviegoer, the average American moviegoer, that standard was obliterated long ago. But again... That standard was obliterated when VHS became in everyone's homes.
1: If the theatrical... Uh, if the theater is tuned for the lack of masking, that's fine. And again, I've been to theaters that are clearly are, or at least taken into account, and it looks fine. But most theaters most screens aren't and all these stray factors do affect the general image and the lack of masking in and of itself is not what degrades it it's all these other factors that the lack of masking uh underlines i suppose that's a good point
0: i i i I don't i don't really agree disagree with what you're saying i guess um my point is that you've already lost this battle (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not people, worth it. People say the same thing about texting. It's like you got to keep fighting. And so far, we're winning against texting. So you might as well. And, you know, I mean, I don't go to AMC that often anymore because it's a shithole. But
0: have you been to. Um, I'm really bummed that uh, AMC bought the. What I still think of as the Sunset 5, but then it was the Sundance Sunset, yeah. which was a lot of fun
1: for years. Interestingly, the projection's gotten better since AMC took it over. I haven't They're, been since then. I so. went like a year ago to see. Oh, what was that movie where Rachel Weiss was fighting the Nazi guy in court? Um, My Cousin Rachel? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, the only
0: Rachel Weiss movie I could think of.
1: Uh, why can't I think of it? It's yeah, like, I anyway. Um, oh, it was a Bleecker Street yes. movie? I don't remember that. You I know the one I'm mentioned. talking about, yeah. but yeah, I can't think of the title. Anyway, I was going to see that, and like there was empty space all around the image. Like, on every side, it was in no way, like there's some simple projector setting to like zoom it out to what side the screen is. And it just wasn't. Uh, but now when I go, I I don't see that kind of, those kind of issues. That's good. I'm thinking
0: about going to the AMC tomorrow, the AMC, the dine in AMC tomorrow to see the Florida because I still haven't seen it, but, um, uh, let me know who's closer to my house so I'll probably just go there yeah totally <laughs> it's
1: better in every way you don't have to do reserved seating
0: all right so we can't we, we could do a whole episode about home viewing versus theatrical viewing but I I guess and that's why I'm hesitant to ask this next question because I feel like it okay. is uh an entree to an entire discussion about this but I'm saying you're younger than I am yeah and I like I didn't fall in love with movies at movie theaters. I fell in love with movies on VHS in the basement alone late at night. And that's still sort of, I guess that's why the movie theater experience isn't that important to me. You know, I grew up, you know, essentially, I don't want to sound like I'm, but I, you know, it's essentially a working class family. Right. um, With four kids and going to the movies was something we did a few times a year. Like it was a very Mm. special occasion. Um, So, I guess maybe part of the reason I don't hold the theatrical viewing experience in, in right. such high esteem is because that's not how I fell in love with movies.
1: You're even younger than I am. Did you go to the movies a lot as a all kid? the time? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, I don't know how often, cause it's like when you're a kid, you don't really have a sense of time, but definitely more than a few times a year. Probably. I mean, I saw like when I was, would have been 14. I saw the first X-Men movie alone, like four times in the theater. Like it was a very frequent, huh. Uh, outing for me, but I—I I mean, tickets weren't that expensive back then. I remember, like in 2000, they were like three dollars sometimes at like a first-run yeah. theater.
0: We would go to the, the 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 dollar theater. That's where I saw yeah. uh, Jurassic Park. It's where I saw Sister Act. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think I maybe I saw the Sandlot. The second-run theater, but um, yeah, our big—we went to a movie every New Year's Eve. That was like a tradition. We did that too, um, and then. Other than that, it'd be sometimes, like, I think we went to see Truman Show on Father's Day uh-huh. because my dad wanted to see Truman Show. That was great. But I mean, I th- uh, mostly I didn't until I got my license when I was 16 and a half. I, my, my parents wouldn't let me get my license when I was 16 because my grades are too bad. So I had to wait <laughs> for the next report card. Right on. Uh, I had to get my grades up. Um, so they'd let me get my license, and then, of course, they fell again. But uh, <laughs> once I had a driver's license um, and, you know, was privileged enough to have fairly regular access to a car because um, my dad was a mechanic and would often just sort of buy, he would, like, buy <laughs> cheap were cars. I thought they are going to say
1: he just brought the cars home. No, <laughs> it, like, no, no. no. <laughs> Tell him the owners. For, It'll be a few extra days. I'm sorry. There's <laughs> something. No, he worked for the city, so he okay. couldn't bring home <laughs> snowplows and cop
0: cars. But he, like, basically, he would, like, if someone was getting rid of like a junker, he would buy it and like fix it up oh, and sweet. then sell. It was like a side yeah. hustle for him. He would sell it. Or sometimes he would sell one of the ones we had and we'd keep the ones. So there are always like a couple more cars than we actually okay. like needed <laughs> around our house. It's kind of cool. So, yeah. So I had fairly regular access to a car. And so once I had my license, I started going to the movie movies multiple times a week and that's contingent to this day. Right. But, um, I, uh, this is all to say, um, I still, I I, I still hold that sort of comparatively crummy viewing experience. And maybe that's the only form of nostalgia I indulge in (laughs)
1: because I'm generally pretty anti nostalgia. I mean, I also didn't get into the movies until I was like 14 or 15 and then, yeah, I was driving by 16. So pretty much as long as I've been into movies, I've had kind of independent access to them. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I
0: guess I, I started getting into, into movies like, in a serious way, probably when I was like 12, maybe mm-hmm. I was in like eighth grade, which would be, uh, I guess that would be more like 13. Right? Yeah. I mean, I I'm old uh, for my grade, so and I'm, I'm young for my grade. Oh, okay. I was 17 <laughs> when I graduated high school. So, um, I can't, so maybe it was like, yeah, uh, 12 or 13. Cause I remember being, you know, excited about like Pulp Fiction, which came out when I was, well, probably came out when I was 11, but mm-hmm. didn't really know about it till I was 12. Um, uh, yeah. So I started getting, yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's the point. And this will actually get us in. We had to take a break to, to talk about, um, um, to talk, to, you know, uh, pay the bills, but, uh, this will get us into our main topic actually. And yeah, a I suppose so. Um, what well, you know how, how, how we came to be young cinephiles and how people do that today. Uh, but first I want to tell you that, that uh, this episode is brought to you by MUBI, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy. All for only $5.99 a month. That's $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Uh, currently available on Mubi, uh, they they sent me a... Uh, Little email here about what's currently available. It's some exciting, exciting stuff. Um, uh, Under the Sun from 2015. Did you see this? No. Um, after like, years of negotiation, the Russian director Vitaly Mansky was invited by the North Korean government to make a film about one girl and her family in the year she prepares to join the Children's Union on the day of the shining star, Kim Jong-il's birthday. But the government handler supervising the production did not realize that Mansky kept filming even after they had shouted cut. Under the Sun is, a, is the jaw japping result, an unprecedented window into how the Hermit Nation constructs its propaganda. All right. Yeah. But this is, the, yeah, okay, so that's Under the Sun. Uh, they also have Evil Dead 2. Uh, right is up there. On. Well, I guess Holdover from Halloween. It's never, never the wrong time of year to watch horror movies. That's what I say.
1: I mean, <laughs> Evil Dead 2 is good.
0: <laughs> um, I love horror movies. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, speaking of horror, uh, Lars von Trier is on here. <laughs> this is not a horror movie, but uh, The Five Obstructions. Did you ever see this documentary? Mm, yes, I saw that in film school. Uh, oh, that's interesting. It came out when I was in film school. It Probably hadn't worked its way into the curriculum yet. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I saw that. That's uh, 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 a movie where Lars Von Trier forces another Danish director to remake his own short film right. five times. But each one, each
1: time, he had has different like rules. And he was, he was he supposed had. to do a follow up with Martin Scorsese. But then that was the year he was like, "I am Hitler at Cannes," and Scorsese was like, "I'm out." Was it really the same year? I thought that wasn't until. Melancholia, when he said the Hitler thing. That it was, but that was the same year that he announced his follow up with Scorsese. Oh, I see. I see. Because yeah, yeah, this yeah. is from
0: 2003. Right, but, but he was going to do a follow up
1: with Scorsese. And Scorsese
0: was like, yes, uh, no. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, okay, so those things are available at Movie. Um, and let me tell you this there's also a special offer. For listeners of Battleship Retention, you can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Uh, You can also find that link on our website. Uh, And I also want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com earbuds. These are uh, uh, professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. I use them each and every day of my life today. uh, I was listening... To What was I listening to? I listened to the, uh, the, the new mixtape that uh, Kamaya dropped. I can't remember what it was called. It uh, wasn't that great, but it sounded great <laughs> thanks to the TweakedAudio.com earbuds. And those are available at a low, low price at TweakedAudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to TweakedAudio.com and use the offer code pretension.
1: Get eighty percent off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at byte com. That's b y t e dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Scott, I almost said Tyler because that's usually what I do at that point. Easy, <laughs> easy habit. Uh, Scott, this this topic today we don't have a guest as we have the last two weeks. Um, uh, this topic today was your idea. Yeah, it sounded good to me. So why we'll don't find you, out if it's good. Why
1: don't you Why don't you, why don't you <laughs> lay it out? Uh, yeah. Well, I speaking of. Privileged access to movies. I was watching uh, my free screener copy of Personal Shopper, which just came out in Criterion. Uh, which is a wonderful movie, and I saw it back in March. And I was watching it again. And I was like, "This is just the coolest movie. I really want to recommend this to friends." I'm trying to recommend movies more on Facebook to like our non-cinephile friends you know it's one thing to do on Twitter where I'm pretty much only followed by movie people right. um, but I'm like get the word out this is a cool movie people I know would be into this movie I look to see like where it's around where I can maybe like direct people to you aside from the criterion copy the only way to watch this is to buy it digitally on like Amazon or iTunes there's no rental option which and like the idea of most people having access like, to a video store that they could rent the criterion copy is and you know, a stretch to say There's the least, Redbox, but red
0: box doesn't have, it's Criterion not going to carry stuff.
1: personal shopper. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that sent me off on a whole trip where I was like, I realized how much work I put in each week, just figuring out how I'm going to see various movies that are coming out and realizing how pretty much impossible that is for just, the average person who has, frankly, probably better things to do than just track new movie releases. Um, and then that got me to thinking about the recent, within the last like five years or so, idea that movies just aren't that good anymore. And I think the two topics are kind of related because I think, in many ways, if you can follow the new releases, and we talk about this at the end of every year when we do our top ten, it's mm-hmm. usually been a good year of film. Mm-hmm. If you can somehow keep up with it, the movies themselves are great as in many ways, as good as they've ever been. But the problem is the access and the platform they're given has been severely diminished so that the idea of the movies feels less great than it used to.
0: Um, but I bet, I mean, I'll bet if you went back to any time from like the forties to present, you could find someone saying the movies aren't as good as they were.
1: Oh, sure. But I think,
0: Uh, I don't know that it's that recent, a, um, uh, a a development but I do think and you and I, we've talked about this probably on the podcast and I know we've talked about it off the podcast I think movies as a medium are less
1: important to young people than they were to us or to many multiple of the past generations right and it's worth asking why that is and I think part of that is the pl- platform they're given
0: um, I think part of that, I think the bigger part of that is just there are new media, uh, you know, um, there's there's YouTube and Snapchat and stuff like that. And I think that's just supplanted it just the way the movies supplanted radio or live theater. And it's never going to obliterate
1: it completely. But I think that's I think that's really what's happening. Yeah, but there's been new media since radio and theater, <laughs> too, in between. It's not like stick. This one's, uh, this one's sticking. (laughs) Vlogging and Snapchatting are sticking. But TV stuck too. And that never really did the movies away. Certainly not culturally.
0: Uh, And I don't think this will either. But I I, I think it's, um, the importance of movies is diminished. And eventually, I think movies will be something like live theater. Like, I don't think it'll ever go away completely. But I think it will be for a niche audience and probably for a um, privileged slightly upper class or at least bourgeois audience. It's right. unfortunate but I think that's what's going to happen. Actually I mean what I think is really going to happen <laughs> is that we're all going to die from global warming before this has a chance to happen. Um, They're giving us about 100 years before that.
1: You're, you think cinema can't do 100 not years? It's like a hard
0: like on off switch though. Like things are going to keep getting worse for the next 100
1: years. <laughs> Yeah, you know? but all the, all the DCPs, are gonna when melt, you say we're all going to die, all the hard drives, I and assume LTOs there will be nobody them. left to watch the movies if they would still exist.
0: Uh, yeah, but the, yeah, the, the, those, the, the LTOs and hard drives that are um, fair enough holding the DCPs won't, won't hold up. Uh, that's we'll, a fair point. Yeah. The, um, uh, we won't, we'll run out of power to, uh, keep the, the negs and IPs, uh, in optimal condition, we will right. be able to do it. that cinema is going to die. Just like we are all just, like it's going to go extinct the way, just the same way that the human race is going to go extinct.
1: Yeah. I just don't know. The, uh, we'll beat it to the punch. That's all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, as, but I think the lar- my larger point still stands that like, there's no need to be withholding a movie like personal shopper from most people who would watch it.
0: Um, no, I didn't mean to because I didn't mean to like take the the role of devil's advocate here. Um, that wasn't my intention going into this, right. but I do have questions. Whereas, in terms of you say like it's a bummer that all, all they can do is buy it online, but there was a time when we were kids when movies were even less available. There was the theatrical release, right. and then there was a year (laughs) and then there was the home video release that you had to go to a store and get, you can't, you couldn't from the comfort of your own home, watch any movie. Like I understand it's a bummer that you can't, you know, spend either have it be part of a, of a, of a streaming service or spend three or four bucks and watch it. Like I wish that everyone could do that with personal shower, but it is still easier to get a hold of, than it was when we were kids if personal shopper came out when i was 11 yeah it would have been harder for me to see
1: No, there's a that spurred a few thoughts the first of which is that you know you, you have to adjust to the times so like if the landscape is theatrical window however long video release like that's this this to me is the equivalent of like waiting an extra year for the video release or like they used to do with Christmas movies they'd release it around the Christmas time and then they wouldn't release the home video version until the next Christmas right like it'd be this extra window of time where the movie was inaccessible and probably unwanted so in that case it probably made sense yeah but in this case like this is the time when people should be catching up with personal shopper you know uh, and I hate to bring it back to that because I think like I said the larger point of how much work it takes to try to see really good movies, I can see why people don't think, in general, the movies are good anymore. You know, you have to be pretty dedicated to this. Even in Los Angeles, where, you know, you can see a good movie any night of the week, and I've said this for years, if people who live in a major city say there are no good movies out you know, message me on Twitter. I'll find you a good movie. <laughs> the idea that you live in, a, I've seen people in Los Angeles complain about this. The idea that you live in Los Angeles and can't go see a good movie is absurd to me. Yeah. But, it's, it's, I usually have the opposite problem. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm, I can't go see this good movie because I'm already seeing this right. good movie. That, but yeah. given that rubric, I know it's hard to figure out which Lemley it's playing out, you know, for a week or maybe a day. Um, so it, it does take a lot of work. And I think in a lot of ways that is a shame.
0: Uh, I, I, I guess I agree. <laughs> I guess I agree but I, I I'm just coming from my own point of view and this isn't really fair but I just like I put in the hard work when I was young yes. and I became a dedicated cinephile and I guess I don't have sympathy for people who aren't willing to put
1: in the hard work no I mean I did too and people complain about this a lot with like classic movies being available on Netflix and stuff and to me like I didn't get into classic movies because they were on you know, Saturday afternoons or whenever. Like there's a generation of people I think who came up with that culture of old movies being on TV and that's how they got into old movies and they were just there. And I can see why they would think that's important. But to me, that was never a factor in how I got into old movies. How did you get into old movies? Uh, I was watching the special features on Pulp Fiction and Quentin Tarantino talked about how much he loved Howard Hawks. And like the next week, uh, Cinema 20... so yeah, Cinema 21, like my favorite theater in Portland, was playing The Big Sleep. And so I went to go see it. Awesome. Yeah. I would say, uh, it's a
0: shame he's not here, but I would say the number one way I got into, like class, especially the classic Hollywood right. movies, is Tyler. Yeah. He's becoming friends with Tyler, because I, I don't know how he got into it, but he was in like, when we first... You know, I, I met I met him when we were both, I think, juniors in high school. We didn't go to the same high school. Um, and he, you know, recommended stuff. And obviously I knew, like, to see Casablanca and right. Citizen Kane and stuff like that. But uh, he recommended stuff. And then when we moved in together, uh, when I was probably just turned 19, he had an extensive VHS collection of old movies, Yeah, you know? And so I saw stuff like mutiny on the bounty and Cape fear and all this stuff that I, you know, had maybe heard of, but had not seen, uh, just a, a huge part of that. And also the entire first semester of college in Chicago, I didn't have a job yet. (laughs) He did, I think. Okay. So I would come home from school and have the place to yourself for a while myself. (laughs) And I would either, if I was flush for some reason, I'd grab a burrito on the way home, but usually I was like heating up hot dogs, turning cheese. Um, and yeah, I'd watch his movies. And over the course of a semester, I watched like 70 something old movies. That's, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, it does help to have somebody kind of in the know. I mean, my fiance, Julie, was key to continuing my old movie interest because she was way into old movies by the time we got to college. And I was like just getting into them, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I, I guess what about this part of it? Okay. Because um, then, then this is where I'm not playing devil's advocate. This is where I'm. I'm on your side a little bit. Uh, and this is actually kind of what I thought you were talking about when you brought it up. Oh, sure. Uh, apart from, or not even getting to the difficulty of seeing personal shopper, what about being a young or even a, you know, adult, but aspiring cinephile? Mm -hmm. Um, how hard is it to, know that personal shopper a exists and B is something you're supposed to be on the lookout for like that. I feel like has become, and I think because I came of age as the internet did, mm-hmm. I just sort of naturally fell into it. But I'm, I'm trying to think of someone who's, who, you know, now who's just deciding I'm going to get into old, you know, I'm going to get into, you know, uh, art house movies, right. or I'm going to get an old movie or whatever. Um, how in the world do they know where to start? Do you know what I mean? Where to start in what sense of like what to watch, where to start looking for what to watch? Like, how do they know? How does, uh, I mean, I I guess I'm thinking of like, I don't want to be, I I hate nostalgia. (laughs) So I hate like anything that sounds like it was better back then. Right. But, um, in all honesty, in like early high school for me, um, I would hear of movies because Entertainment Weekly, which I subscribed to Mm -hmm. and subscribe to to this day, had a home video section where it would review. And sometimes it was like new, you know, DVDs or special features or stuff. It was like TV shows that come out, but they would review new DVD uh, usually um, because, yeah, this is before Blu-ray DVD editions of classic movies. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm saying, I guess, where is the mainstream source for even
1: understanding what the canon is now. No, I mean, that's a good question. I think it's kind of wrapped up in all this is that there's no mainstream representation of quality movies. Um, There isn't kind of, I mean, entertainment weekly is still around, but like, I, I guess I don't know how people stumble around these things for me. I if
0: TCM, I don't I want to like something I'm kissing up, but TCM is a cable channel that I think most people who have cable, these which is fewer and fewer people, these I guys, say, that's people who have cable, but I'm saying, I guess I, I always think of this as a term in terms of someone who was the same age. I was, Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like your parents, probably if you're 12, your parents probably still have cable. I suppose. <laughs> um, uh and tcm is a good way like it's out there you know and it's you know that's a push media or that's a yeah a push media if you know that term no. like so basically tv or radio um, in the classic sense, are push medias in turn, push media in the turn, in the sense that like you turn the thing on it's and there, it's there. Yeah. As opposed to something like on demand or whatever, which is a poll media or going okay. to bookstores stores like a, store, like a poll media where you're selecting what you want at that time. Okay. So I'm saying TCM is the biggest like
1: sort of push medium uh, for old movies. But I almost, I mean, i of love it to TCM and old movies, but I feel like if you're just getting into movies and you stumble across like a programmer from nineteen thirty two, you're probably not gonna want to watch more old movies <laughs> because there's like there's some awkward pacing think, uh, in there. You don't think the gay divorcee is a gateway <laughs> film for a lot of people. I mean I, I wish, but <laughs> even as a as, Astera Rogers musicals go, it's a little over long. <laughs> um but I I mean for me, like I was into comics, so I'd occasionally check in on Ain't it Cool News and then from there, like as I got more into movies, they'd link to I'm trying to think of what was around then cinematical probably. Um Chud. <laughs> sure. So other like kind of geek centric, but you know, they're gateway drugs basically. And I'm sure they're, I mean, frankly, Twitter is probably a huge part of it for a lot of people. If they're interested in movies, there's a lot of very easy avenues to follow within that.
0: Yeah. I, I, I guess, uh, cause my question was going to be like, how do you know who to, whom, whom to follow? And I realized like, you know, when I want to learn about something <laughs> Like I was just, you and I were just talking off mic that I was like frustrated because I didn't know how to watch a like pr- password protected Vimeo screen right. on my Vimeo Roku app. Right. And I was like, oh, I could just Google it. And yeah. That's all I did. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's, that's the simple answer to yeah. all of my questions here is if someone's like, what are good movies? <laughs> you know, you're going to find your way to like the, the sight and sound list or the, they shoot movies. Don't they uh, list or, or one of those.
1: Yeah. But to me, I'm not as concerned with how cinephiles can come up because I think, if you're really dedicated to movies you're going to figure out a way and it's easier than ever to figure out that way to me it's like normal people who aren't super into movies but like to watch good movies and there's you know there's no front facing avenue for that like netflix is kind of the end for most people which i understand why And I've heard like varying reports of how well they promote, you know, even something like the Meyerowitz stories, which has been promoted to me relentlessly on my Netflix, but they know what I watch. You know, they see that I'm watching, you know, the new Eugene green movie. And so they're like, Oh, he'd probably like the Meyerowitz stories.
0: Yeah. I get frustrated a little bit with Netflix. um, And the way that it is to go back to like push and pull media, Mm -hmm. like Netflix is technically a pull media, but sort of a lot of times behaves like sort of, like I can't remember what I watched. I watched something on Netflix, and it was right before Meyerwitz came out. Mm-hmm. And it was a movie. I can't remember what it was, but as soon like when the credits were rolling on the movie I was yeah. watching, it showed me a trailer for Meyerwitz, and I was like, "No, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not watching <laughs> give, a TV channel right, a TV station right now. Give me like, a second. I, yeah, and I I might want to sit through the credits. Yeah, exactly. Here, you know, um, I, I it, it makes Netflix feel less like, uh, home video or home theater. You,
1: you right. Know, it feels like I'm watching something on a TV station when it acts like that. Um, but yeah, but I mean, anyway. I'm not against, you know, Netflix or whoever picking up movies and their first run for all intents and purposes being on the streaming service. But it's to me all about how well the movie gets represented, whether that's a theatrical release, a day and date thing, or just pure streaming or however. And to me, by and large, the movies just aren't being well represented in the cultural space.
0: Um, well, maybe this is just my still being uh, bitter about being a weirdo that no one understood as a kid. Right. But like, I guess I don't care how normal people, <laughs> like, if normal people, normal people think that's, about movies.
1: That's how the medium's going to last and endure. I don't know. Is it like, I mean,
0: to me, the fact that companies like Criterion and Arrow mm-hmm. can not only succeed, but apparently, like, thrive, Yeah, is proof that, like, this niche audience is enough.
1: (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think the problem, and maybe it's because I spend more time on film Twitter, but people just start talking about movies as movies and not, frankly, as art that has a larger life significance. Um, And I think that's something that gets lost when movies or any art form is just segmented to a certain group of people. I mean, you see that frankly with painting that if you go to an art gallery, painting is not well represented to the average person. It's well represented to people who like painting, but there's no, in, there's no engagement. There's no, what would you suggest for painting for painting? I don't, I mean, I'm Cause look, I don't know anything about flat art
0: um, <laughs> movies. You would realize <laughs> are flat art. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, but at least they have the, the other dimension. Um, yeah, movies are three-dimensional art. They're two-dimensional, and then they skip a dimension, and then they're fourth-dimensional,
1: right? Oh, I suppose so, yes. Because they, <laughs> they got the time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whereas, if I look at a, you know, a, a, a Rembrandt or whatever, mm-hmm. like,
1: how do I know when I'm done?
0: <laughs> There's no trailer for the next painting that comes up when I'm done looking at the Rembrandt. <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> odd that you would say that. Cause it's actually the opposite, uh, with my African French and fiance, who isn't that much into avant-garde movies, but like loves avant-garde art. And she's like, because I can set the time.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, no. And I, uh, I mean, I, I'd like to exaggerate just like I like to exaggerate about not being a Radiohead fan right. which I am. I do actually like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of art. Um, uh, Rothko and Richter. Those are my, Guys, Bartholomew Gerhard Richter. That's the stuff that I go straight to. I can take it. Um, You've been to the Art Institute in Chicago? No, I haven't been to Chicago long enough as an adult to oh, man, do anything yeah. of use. Yeah, I forget the name of the painting, but they have like the huge Gerhard Richter. It's like a woman coming down the stairs. It's so fucking cool. All uh, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love the Art Institute. You could literally spend all day that like I lived there for four years and I've been to visit and
1: there are rooms in that building I've never been into. I mean, I frankly feel that way about LACMA too. I mean, I go fairly frequently and I'm still not sure I've seen all their like permanent collection stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, that to me is, so I I still don't know. How do you, how do you engage uh,
1: or make art more engaging? Like painting? Yeah. Like, yeah. Flat art. (laughs) (laughs) As it's known to, (laughs) connoisseurs <laughs> yeah no I, I i don't know i not you know i enjoy going to galleries but i'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination so like
0: because i guess i'm asking are you talking about how it's presented in the space or are you talking about marketing uh, because um, you mentioned lacma who has a they have a great snapchat okay
1: <laughs> LACMA Snapchat is I, I, awesome. i'm not on snapchat
0: so i'll have to take your word um because they'll do things like have a series where they're like working like screen capping or, or captioning pictures of their pieces from their collection
1: okay. with like lyrics from popular songs Okay. now, you know, and it is, I think it is no, exciting that kind of engaging. It is a great idea because it connects it to a larger life experience. Maybe that's what movies need to do more is find that same sort of accessibility. Uh, and frankly, studios need to be more open to images being shared. Um, be they in gift form or whatever in some capacity other than, the ones they lay out, you mm-hmm. know, they need to let some kind of life be breathed into them by the larger populace while they're still like new things, you know,
0: yeah, but they, then you get
1: the spoiler phobes.
0: Well, sure. Um, of which I'm not one. Uh, no, neither, neither am I, but I,
1: I do hear you that that is an issue.
0: Did you say, off topic for a second? Cause I know you are one of the few people I actually know, uh, who actually saw Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. I know a lot of people, on Twitter, who saw it? Right. IRL, most people I know <laughs> didn't go see Thor Ragnarok. Um, and I don't know if you read AV Club as much as uh, Tyler and I do because we talk about Not it. Not as much Sesame as you guys TV. do. Um, but there was a, a little editorial about um, uh, how Marvel should have kept Hulk out of the marketing. Because within the movie, apparently, is the argument is that there's no hint that the movie feels like it's supposed to be a surprise when the Hulk walks out. For
1: sure. Um, uh, What do you think about that? I think that's always been an issue. Um, I know. I mean, I wasn't I was alive, but I wasn't old enough to be aware of it. But that was an issue with Terminator 2. That's the one that was cited in this. Yeah, totally. Because that was something that James Cameron definitely designed to be a reveal that the, the Terminator was a good guy now. Um, and you can tell watching the movie, the whole movie is built around that reveal and that twist, but it was something they totally gave away in the marketing and they were right. More people would go see it. Yeah. If they knew at, that at the time, but I'll also like, I mean,
0: looking at it from a distance, if I'm, you know, if I'm discovering those movies for the first time now, I don't necessarily know that.
1: Oh, sure. But you know,
0: or actually I wonder, I'm not trying to think for me, I think Cause I wasn't allowed to watch those movies when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, my parents were actually pretty strict about, uh, ratings and stuff. So, um, but I was again, like I said, um, I'm a few years older than you, which I think at this age doesn't mean much, but at that age was probably a pretty big goal. So I was like Jonathan Brandis uh, or what's his name? Um, not Jonathan Brandis. Who was the, the, the kid in Terminator two. Yeah, Eddie question. Furlong.
1: Sure,
0: I was like Eddie Furlong's age. Okay, and so that movie—that's another weird thing—is that was a hard R movie that was no doubt marketed to people. Oh yeah, that age, which is not something Absolutely. you see quite as much anymore. Yeah. Um, but um, like so, I knew of Terminator Two before I knew of Terminator. I mean, I knew it was a sequel because it was called Terminator Two. But I right. was like, and so when I in high school, like, finally watched. The Terminator, it was more there was more cognitive dissonance of <laughs> him being the bad guy. Because, Interesting. Uh because I was introduced to the concept of the Terminator as uh, he's a good guy. Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? No, the friends of mine who had less restrictive parents for ratings who saw Terminator 2, like I just knew the arc. I was like, they all said first Terminator, he's the bad guy, then he's the good guy. Yeah. For some reason that was already like it's like the plot of Star Wars. It's like imbued in me from birth.
0: <laughs> uh yeah, but do you think um, we're, we're so far off topic, but it kind of found well, that's to how it happens. happens. Um, uh, cause Tyler has talked about this in like the way that things happen over generations. Like you and I and Tyler all grew up well after the movie psycho came out. Right. But we all knew that Janet Lee dies in the show. Right. Right. But now Tyler is saying like being a, a TA to like, you know, people who are in their late teens or the twenties now. Right. Like, it's like gone even it's, it's gone back. It's gone. It's so far that now it's back to where they, uh, a lot of his students didn't necessarily know that about psycho. And I wonder, does someone watching star Wars at the age of eight or nine now know that Darth Vader is Luke's father, the way that I
1: did when I sat down and watched it. Well, I think so because star Wars has kept in the cultural space, especially over the last like 15 years or whatever. Um, But I think the psycho thing is reflective of what I'm of the diminished platform movies have culturally because there's no popular discourse around that. I mean, I think that scene was probably spoofed in Animaniacs when I grew up. Like there's, there was some way it was reflected in culture up through when I was a kid.
0: But that's also because it was more recent to them. Like, I think, you know, the way that we viewed psycho now is probably the way that if there was an Animaniacs now, yeah, that's true. It'd be it would like be spoofing. I don't know. Blue velvet or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about blue velvet, but, uh, probably more directly like a Halloween or, uh, the thing. Yeah. Something from the eighties, I think, right. or even into the nineties at this point. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Blue Velvet might be a better comparison. <laughs> okay. like, Psycho is a pretty disturbing movie. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's. I mean, it was made at a time when it's still an all audiences movie, whereas Blue Velvet right. is not an all. And like, I mean, neither is The Thing or Halloween exactly, but it's more like early teen friendly.
0: Right. Right. Um. So maybe there are. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there are big. I'm trying to think uh, what the movies are from the 80s or early 90s that have big twists. Um. I mean, not The Crying Game because I feel like. That's a movie that is. it's unfortunate that it is known mostly I've for actually never twist. seen it. It's A, the twist comes halfway through. It's not like right. it reveal at the end of the movie. Uh, and B, it's not what the movie is about. It's, right. actually,
1: it's a really good movie. No, I, I would like to so, see it. It's just one of those that yeah. floated by me.
0: Yeah. All right. So um, how do we get back on topic from here, do you think? <laughs> I guess is the question.
1: Uh, it's unfortunate that movies like Thor Ragnarok represent the present cinema, I guess. Is part of it.
0: I think that's. I think that's true. I think when, uh, it, one of the um, things you you often hear um, uh, noted with some surprise is that the year it came out, I think like Kramer versus Kramer was one of the highest right. grossing movies of the year, and I do think it's. On the one hand, I think it's. I actually like that B movies have become A movies. In a way, you know, because it in, in that way, it makes cinema in general seem more accessible,
1: I think, to a lot of people. But, um, but I, I, don't I know think, unfortunately, it stops there for a little That's lot what of, I'm going to say. It's yeah. not making cinema more accessible. It's making things that happen to be movies more accessible. Uh, and I wonder if that's part of
0: the problem is, uh, and I don't know This a necessary problem, but the way that we select movies to watch has become such that they are often walled off from one another, you know? Okay. Um, because you're, because of, you know, to go back to this thing I keep saying, like, because so much of it is about pull media, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You're not just like, and I guess I never wanted to be the guy who's nostalgic about video stores, but there is sort of something to be said for like being in a physical space where you're surrounded by, you know, every different type of movie, (laughs) you know? Um, and I don't think you have that now. I think to go back to the entertainment weekly, uh, um example uh which I still read every week um by the way and I read through their music section and mm-hmm. it often is like music at this point has become so striated um and it, and it's everyone is just living in their own little like I like this kind of music this specific kind of and it gets even more specific that a publication like Entertainment Weekly trying to write about music is often laughable to
1: me because it's <laughs> they're trying to fit all of it into their four pages a week. But I feel like, you know like what I mean? that's even less true than it was 10, 15 years ago when you know downloading music was first becoming a major force and people really were picking their niches. I think things like Spotify have actually re-mainstreamed a lot of music. That's good. I hope you're right. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like artists like uh, Beyonce and Kesha and... That whole pop scene, like when I was growing up, nobody I knew listened to pop. And now pop is like a mainstream accepted, seriously discussed thing. But do
0: you think that's true of the 14 year old Scott or 14 year old David now?
1: Yeah, kind of. You
0: do? I mean, I wonder. Like, I mean, and it is me coming uh, from a, a punk place where, like, not listening, listening to anything that wasn't punk was enough to get you tart and feathered by your
1: friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I had a pretty wide group of friends in high school. Like okay. and everyone I knew listened to like indie rock or emo music in like the mid two thousands. Nobody was listening to pop music. And I totally knew people who would be listening to pop music today. Uh, what was the good pop music then though? That's what I'm saying. I don't think there was that much. Yeah. But
0: Whereas now we do have like, yeah, you got Beyonce, and so much of it is uh, female too. Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah, this new. I was never a Kesha fan before this new album, but the new album is, I think, an instant classic. Um, yeah, I'm uh, on the record as being a big Miley stan, even though uh, I find her embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's definitely a lot, a lot of those uh, accusations of cultural appropriation. Uh, yeah. Stick. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, I mean, I guess you can, it doesn't necessarily make the songs bad. I feel like that's kind of the <laughs> Nicky space to get um, into, but it's like, just because she's
1: ignorant about it, it doesn't make the song necessarily a bad song. Right. I mean, I'm not that much of a Miley expert, but my view of her music has always kind of been that it's a little borrowed, I guess, in some capacity. And, um,
0: why yeah. don't I, if you listen to her, her new album is okay. a sort of return to like, um, more, you know, softer pop and guitar, okay. you know, guitar country influenced pop. And I think for all of her problems, all the things about her that are hashtag problematic, I don't think Miley has ever gotten enough the credit she deserves as a lyricist. Um, because okay. she does write pretty much all of her own lyrics, and, uh, I think she has a really good, um, Uh, a really good knack for uh, employing specifics to suggest universality, which is kind of one of my favorite things about Poetry or lyrics, yeah, something oh, like that's key, something that the mountain goats do. Okay, and mountain goats are my pretty much my favorite band of all time, um, and John Darnielle does that very well. Like hyper specific things that we've let on first lins, listen, you're like, how is this important to the song? But mm. you realize that it's uh, it's a texture that you need. Anyway, we're so far
1: off topic, but I can bring it back. Okay, because I think another key thing that's helped music has been spontaneity and like these surprise release albums that just seemingly come out of nowhere. Yeah, whereas the mainstream cinema. Especially stuff like superhero movies feels inevitable and feels so like years in advance. You know it's coming, so that by the time it comes out, it's like, what's even the point of going? You know,
0: uh, I one hundred percent like agree with that. I am, I am. There are so many movies that I'm sick of, and they're still ten minutes, 10, ten months away from release. Yeah, other totally. movies that I'll see something about and be like, didn't that come out? Oh yeah, <laughs> and <completely>. it didn't <laughs> yet. Um, but. Now I'm so excited for who will be the first studio to drop like a major movie.
1: <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I feel like things close to that have happened, but I can't think of any examples offhand. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> I mean, how, yeah, I don't know how you even do it. There's such oh, a well, machine. The, the closest was probably like 10 Cloverfield lane, which yeah. nobody really knew. I mean, if you'd really been keeping track, you could have told that there was a movie coming out with that cast. Um, but for most people, including most people who follow movies, that trailer was the announcement and that was like three months before it came out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've followed Dan Trachtenberg on Twitter and Instagram (laughs) for years. So I, I knew he was making a movie with John Goodman and whatever, but yeah, Yeah. I guess I learned when everyone else did, uh, that it was a Cloverfield movie. And And then I learned when it came out that it was better than Cloverfield. I'm not a huge Cloverfield
1: fan. I'm not a huge Cloverfield fan. I think I would agree with that, Uh, but I did like Cloverfield a lot. Um, The other more unfortunate example, given today's news, is the Louis C.K. movie that he basically dropped as a surprise movie at at Toronto. And I feel like that does happen at film festivals quite a bit. I mean, just this year, Ghost Story, uh, the David Lowry movie, was basically a surprise when it was announced. And that Um, was apparently because... um,
0: Casey Affleck and Mara's, like representation didn't know they were making the movie. Right? Oh really? Because I think for budget reasons, they like had to be paid almost nothing, I think to right. do the movie. And so they essentially did it out of the view of their own agents and managers. All right. I like um, it. Uh, uh, because they wanted to, wanted to make it and Kesha's in it.
1: That's right. I forgot about that. She's in the party scene. Um, yeah. With Will yeah.
0: Kesha and Will Oldham together at last.
1: That's a weird... You bring it up, the budget of that movie is strange to me because it is a low-budget movie, but they also apparently had enough of the budget to film all of the Casey Affleck as a ghost thing at a different frame rate than the oh, rest really? of the frames that he's in, which is part of how they got like the effect of how like the cloak and stuff moves, is they actually filmed that at a different frame rate. And, and then, then composited. And like composited it yeah with
0: the, that's interesting well that's the one of the coolest things is the, about the present before we all melt to death um, <laughs> yeah, is how much easier good effects are mm-hmm. um, like and I'm sure you know things change so much that I'm sure this movie looks a little bit dated now but uh, monsters that Gareth whatever movie. Yes. Which I um, never saw. I always forget if it's Evans or Edwards, one made Want the raid. To, and yeah, one made... I think it's Edwards. Okay. Um, it's a really interesting movie. Um, yeah, but it has pretty good, like pretty cool, right. like giant monster effects. And it was made for nothing. Like
1: it was all the effects were like done on laptops. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's, that's very exciting that you can do that now. Yeah. Or just the level of invisible effects. Like I saw Ladybird last night and there was a visual effects credit. <laughs> Yeah. Nowhere in the movie would I have ever been like, that was a visual effect shot. Yeah. That, and that used to be the domain of Robert Zemeckis. I remember
0: the, back when I used to watch DVD special features, um, back when they used to exist, I feel like outside of, they outside of niche, outside of like specialty organizations, do studios make, uh, VAM, which is value added of material, That's <laughs> the industry term for special features. Uh, do studios produce that anymore?
1: Yeah, Totally. Yeah? Um, I mean, I know there's still commentary tracks, believe it or not, on new movies. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last like studio Blu-ray I would have picked up, though. I just had a trivia question about what was the first commentary
0: track, and it was a Criterion Laserdisc. I think it was Citizen King Game. Kong. Oh no, yeah, great. Right, it's King Kong. King Kong, Kong yeah. right? Okay, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but I remember watching the special features on Castaway. Right. And realizing just how many, how, like there's so many visual effects shots right. in a movie that you think, Oh, it's just Tom Hanks on a beach. And it's like, no, they went in and removed like 85% of all the wildlife right. to make it seem more like remote. And they removed and like stuff like the part where he climbs up to the place where he tried to kill himself. Yeah. There's, it's
1: literally in the parking lot right. of like the Culver studios in Culver city. It was the same thing watching the special features on Zodiac. Um, There is because they actually did shoot that in San Francisco, but there's obviously parts of San Francisco that don't look like the 70s anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of the behind the scenes footage where these guys are literally like pushing a green screen behind Mark Ruffalo so that there's always a green screen behind him as they shot tracks along the street. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um,
0: Okay. So we've been going almost now, which probably look to wrapping up. I feel like maybe the answer here, um, but no, uh, the answer to my question, not to your question uh, is this is what's good about award season? As much as those of us who are mired mm-hmm. in it—not you, not, not me—I tend to love award season. I do too. Um, but I know there's always a lot of complaining, uh, uh, you know, about uh, award season. Does it cheapen things to put them in competition with, with right. one another? But I do think it is a way that for a few months, m- you know, movies uh, that aren't. Thor Ragnarok. Right. Uh, I hate to be talking shit about this movie. I haven't seen and I like Taika mm, a It's not that for good. Um, uh, but movies other than that are pushed to the for- forefront. It doesn't address your issue of how do people, how do people then go see them?
1: Well, I mean, but- a lot of these movies do get released in theaters, but it's about creating awareness. And I think award season does help create awareness. So, I mean, yeah. certainly, I mean, I go back home a couple of times a year the only time people are really asking them about movies is at the end of the year, because they know there's good stuff they can go see.
0: Yeah. But I, I, you know, I take it as uh and usually I would say most of the time I am, like I said earlier, I'm like, I don't care what, you know, non movie fans are watching. <laughs> I'm going to watch what I want. And they watch what they want. And that's not very fair. But, um, you know, my, my mom has good taste in movies, but is not someone who is, you know, 12 months out of the year seeking out, right. uh, uh, things. I don't know. Um, she probably isn't aware of personal shopper. Um, but like, I guess to you, you know, I, every year around this time she asked me like, what should I see before like award season yeah, exactly. kicks off? And I've like, as you know, I think <laughs> and remember, this is, my mom has joked about this in other ways that like when parents have little kids, they protect the little kids from things. And then like, as kids get older, they uh, turn into adults. They often weirdly feel like they have to protect their parents from like newish like stuff. And I've learned to break out of that because my mom thought Tangerine was great. That's awesome. Which is not a movie I like, um, I recommended to her two years ago. She watched it. I think she watched like on Netflix on a plane, which I wonder what the person next to her thought. (laughs) Um, But uh, like, you know, I would have, Neglected to recommend that movie to my mom a few years ago because I, you know, a few years before that, because I was still stuck in this, like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not for, for moms, her, yeah, that's not for her type <laughs> of movie fan, movie right? Sure, uh, and I've, def- I definitely uh, credit my mom's good taste and openness to sort of realizing. Uh, despite what I've already said in this episode <laughs> that people who
1: aren't you and me, uh, there's no reason they shouldn't be watching these movies. Yeah. I mean, I was recommending uh, two days, one night, all of and down the boulevard, because I know you think it's too accessible, but I think that's, you know, in its favor that normal people can watch it and still get uh, yeah get the peer shit. Yeah. What was their last one? Uh, they just had one this year, uh, which I saw and can't remember now. OK. The Unknown Girl.
0: Uh oh okay, I didn't see that one. Um but yeah, I liked Two Days One Night. It was definitely better than Kid hey. with a Bike, which is the yeah. one that I felt was really like a sort of sappy movie okay. dressed up as a art house movie or whatever. I can kind of see that. Um but uh I did like Two Days One Night. I did I just didn't love it. Um, um I'm thinking of this one only because I happened to see it at the same theater, but uh 45 years is the movie from recent years. Oh yeah, totally. That I would definitely recommend to people. That one blew me away. Um, saw both of those at the Lemley Royal. Um, I do still have the hurdle. I think not not with my mom, but with a lot of people of like, uh, like I know you would love this movie, but I like you have to read it because it's in another language. And I do think that I think, I think that's more of a hurdle for non movie people than it is. I didn't
1: even think about it for a second. I I think it's, Mm becoming lesser because I think it's been so incorporated into like parts of mainstream entertainment. Like there are parts of Marvel movies that have subtitles because some alien walks on the screen. Like,
0: yeah. And I, I do credit, uh, lost in a lot of ways. Yeah. for Having entire like huge sections of episodes in Korean
1: subtitles, Korean. Yeah. And I think um, that's been key too. I feel like we're still have that inherited belief that people can't read movies or don't want to read movies. um, because you know like 20 years ago 30 years ago those sections of lost would have just been in English yeah and nobody would have thought about it but I guess I'm I got people like
0: Paul Goble stuck in my head who, literally, <laughs> who like got mad at me well, for making him watch the pussy riot documentary because it was in, <laughs> in Russian um, I mean, uh, but there's another movie uh, well I'm thinking of movies that I saw at the Lemley Royal because I love that theater um there was a. I want. It's a, is it Chilean or Argentine? The movie Gloria from a few years ago. The yeah, is a new movie. Is it Chilean? Yeah, yeah. Gloria is such a great movie that I would not hesitate to recommend to anyone. It's not like a particularly like challenging or hard to watch movie. It's I think it's a lovely m- sort of coming of middle age type of movie. Um, but I have hesitated. I think a because it's in Spanish, <laughs> um, and b because it's actually not that
1: easy to find. I don't think. Oh, really? That's interesting. Um, I thought that seems like such a Netflix movie at this point. Oh, uh, Maybe it is. You know, I never think about that. Um, that's the easiest to find.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, what I forget. I'm so uh, into like my uh, movie, filmstruck, Fandor, and Amazon rentals mm. that I forget that Netflix is still for movies and not just for TV.
1: I know. I just watched the new Eugene Green movie, as I just mentioned, on Netflix two days ago. So Which one is that? Uh, the Son of Joseph. Okay. It's pretty good
0: well tangerine's still on netflix uh there and we'll you go know. and watch that uh, <laughs> anyway so uh award season's good yes the internet's good yes uh but
1: your argument is that movies f- need to find a way to better represent themselves and we're kind of getting there in some ways and kind of backtracking But at i others. guess i just i still
0: don't have a handle on what your do you have a suggestion of how this goes
1: I think, like I said, I think creating a space for people to freely engage and share movies is key. I don't know what that space exactly looks like, but I wouldn't have known what Spotify looks like three years ago or whatever, either. And it's like, you know, people find ways. There's always money to be made in these kind of ventures. So I hope somebody finds that way.
0: Okay. So you're picturing like
1: a movie, what, subscription-based streaming service. But I don't know if that's best for movies. You know, it's like when iTunes first came out, that was great for music, but it showed to be poor for movies. And then we discovered that, you know, Netflix, DVD by mail or streaming, that's kind of the way people want to do movies. But now it's so dispersed. There's so many platforms that the idea of there being an avenue to movies, the way the movie theaters used to be, or the way the video stores like in conjunction with movie theaters used to be, those were the way you used to watch movies. So you could just go to either and figure out movies. There's no, centralized space right now
0: yeah if there were like i like this idea of the spotify thing because one thing that i think uh spotify does um even though i think people don't think of it that much there's the social aspect to spotify where you have an account and you can have friends on spotify and what they're listening to um which is something i used to do more often but you can do it but also you can have your uh, you can have a post to your Facebook every once in a while. It'll just show up. Like oh, really? David is listening to, yeah. Cause I had like uh, my friend Sean that I used to do previously on with, uh, like text me out of the blue. And he was like, Hey, were you listening? Why were you listening to this? <laughs> because it was actually specifically I was listening to pure imagination from Willy Wonka. Okay. <laughs> and he was like, did you see Thor? And I was like, no. And he was like, Oh, that's weird. You were listening to Willy Wonka. Cause apparently that song is in Thor.
1: Yeah, I guess it is. Pure I imagination. About
0: that. Um, but that wasn't why I was listening to it. I didn't know that. Um, But I guess what you're saying is if there was a single like Amazon prime, whatever, if it became the uh, the hub where people went to see, went to like watch movies online or rent movies Mm -hmm. online or whatever, but you could also have a social aspect to it where you could have an automatic tweet or Facebook update. Like David watched Tangerine or whatever. That might be key. That would be very cool
1: let's start this. <laughs> right, let's do it. Let's make battleship Retention The hub.
0: All right. Yeah. I'll get, I'll get on work. I'll get to work, uh, licensing <laughs> some movies. Uh, well, this is a fun conversation, even though it went all over the place. Those um, are the best ones. But, yeah, I got to talk about Miley, which is always fun. <laughs> um, Tyler would have just like looked down at the table for a while until I was done. <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, Uh, But Tyler will be back next week, although probably still not very participatory. A lot of looking at the
1: table next week for Tyler.
0: (laughs) Yeah, next week we'll be doing our AFI Fest uh, wrap up. AFI Fest, I guess, technically is starting as we speak, but neither
1: neither of us is at the opening night. Well, and as this episode goes
0: up, we're big in the midst of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, What is the opening night
1: movie? Um, Oh, man. Is it Mudbound or is it Mudbound? Either Mudbound or Call Me By Your Name.
0: Yeah, it's one of those two. Uh, I don't know what the closing night movie is because it was supposed yeah. to be all the money in the world, which is still coming out December twenty second. apparently. I'm so
1: excited. How do you feel about the news? Uh,
0: I would I would have thought this was great news if even if the news about Kevin Spacey never right? existed. It's just like, exciting. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Plummer, Kevin, Kevin Plummer, <laughs> uh, Christopher Plummer is, I would say, you know, always a better option.
1: Well, Kevin not Spacey. only that, but it's just exciting that a guy who. I mean, Ridley Scott's like 75, and he's like, I'll reshoot the movie six weeks before it comes out.
0: Well, did you hear his... I mean, I, I was really sort of touched by his reasoning why. Like, I mean, obviously, you know... The central reason. The, but what I'm saying, obviously, the main reason is because Kevin Spacey's a monster. Right. But what Ridley Scott said to someone, I'm not sure who's, you know, uh, who, 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 like, reached him for a comment, but basically he was like, there are, like... 800 other crew members and actors and writers and people who worked in this movie. And it would really suck if the movie didn't get yeah. seen because of, I think he said, because of what one supporting actor did <laughs> <laughs> He specifically referred to Kevin Spacey as one supporting actor. He's got that cutting British wit still. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's super cool. Because yeah. Cause I sure. think, um, we were talking or I was talking off mic after we finished last week with, with Susan about, um, well, someone you and I know, I don't think we can say, uh, okay. was, uh, um, cast on house of cards. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, and then found out that he wasn't
1: because Casting they're getting rid of the, of the show
0: and that's I remember and Susan was like that's she was she was like that's what I always think about when this happens yeah is how many you know people innocent people who didn't sexually harass anyone yeah uh how, how much it upends their lives or or make you know hides their work or whatever so it's I think it's super cool of these got to have that to do this and to have that reasoning and I'm just always excited to see Christopher Plummer in a movie and
1: stuff like this keeps movies out there at the forefront of the culture to bring it all back yeah. home yeah, I once saw Christopher Plummer at a whole foods in Beverly Hills. I'm sure he uh, was shopping uh, politely.
0: He was with someone and, else. But uh, what I remember is that he was wearing like track pants, like he'd been working out, but it was like a chilly day. And he had like a very sort of nice
1: houndstooth overcoat <laughs> over his, See, like, that's the way clothes. I would expect. I was like, workout clothes, Christopher Plummer, this doesn't sound right. Yeah,
0: it, it was, it was, it was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. Beverly Hills. I, I would say, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, recently. If you're, looking to be a film critic in Los Angeles, get ready to spend way more time in Beverly Hills than yeah. you ever would
1: have thought. That's for sure. Yeah. Luckily, not bad with parking down there. Uh, well, no, especially the screening rooms generally have, yeah, but even then parking. you can park like on the street after six for like nothing. That's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. Which is good if you want to go out and get uh you know, dinner or a drink or something yeah. after, the, after the screening. Um, I've been ta- I've been thinking about doing a post this would be so like, inside baseball up our own ass thing but um i think amanda Mikey on this show maybe released off mic uh was egging me on to do this okay which is to have a sort of guide to la screening rooms and happy hours nearby nice <laughs> and i would really like to do that because yeah, I, ha- sure. I do have a pretty good list in my head
1: and of- happy hour in la can be anywhere from like 3 p.m to midnight yeah
0: yeah yeah, I was watching the whole. We're supposed to be wrapping up at this point, but um, there was something on the Food Network I think recently where they were talking about like how uh, you know it's debatable where Happy Hour was invented. Right. But Los Angeles, sort of like grabbed on to happy hour more than any other city and a a big part of it which makes sense is that people get off work and the traffic fucking sucks that's they want to go somewhere uh you know and wait it out for an hour or two and you know you have a cheap drink and cheap apps or whatever you know it's a good way to to kill some time yeah Uh, for sure and they they make a buck so that's maybe that's apparently that's the Food Network's theory as to why Happy Hour is such a big deal. Hey, I'm uh, just glad it is. Whatever be- it takes. Beverly Hills is great too because you've got some of the most expensive restaurants.
1: Yeah. That weirdly have super cheap happy hours. Yeah, there. Uh, when Fleming's used to be down there. Yeah, that was a good one. They had like a seven dollar burger and, and fries. Yeah,
0: um, and like uh, um, Bouchon, which is right around the corner, or it's in the courtyard, right next to where Fleming flemings was mm-hmm. also has a, a great cheap happy hour and there's a couple others uh around there i'm not going to give the name of the one that i uh <laughs> frequent oh, you have to tell me off mic yeah i don't want listeners uh <laughs> i don't know stalking me all right obviously dumb. Uh, okay you can find us at battleship that's where you'll find all of scott's m- mostly scott's afi coverage i also have um I'm going to be running some a reviews. good handful. It sounds like, um, yeah, because well, there's three things going in that I've already seen, right? Which are Mudbound calling by your name and the Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman documentary. So I'll run reviews and then I'll see a few more things there and I'll run reviews of whatever you don't. But mostly Scott is our man at AFI. um, so, find his AFI coverage at battleshipretention.com. You can uh, email me and Tyler, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleship We're on Twitter at Davy pretension or at Tyler pretension.
1: Um, Scott, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow, at BP and Criterion Cast, where we'll shortly be covering the Monty Hellman Westerns.
0: Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.